You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Um, it is a real honor to be with you today. LaGrange was home for the Smith family, my wife, my wife Heather and I, and our three sons for about 12 years when I pastored uh, First Baptist Church here in LaGrange. And so uh, not only did I pastor the uh, church and parts of the community, just like your pastor Chris does, but um, Heather also was an educator here for 10 years, so she probably taught some of your kids. <laughs> so um, it's an honor to be here. I used to have this practice on Fridays, not every Friday, but many Fridays. I go up to the bluff, <clears throat> to the state park up there, and... Um, I'd finished kind of studying for the week and often I would I would lift my arms in prayer over our community and I couldn't see my church, but I could see this church. And so I'd pray for this church uh, quite quite often. So it is just a real uh, humbling honor to be able to share with you today. I love your pastor. Chris and I have been good friends. We remain good friends. Even I've taken a different role now. I work with, with Texas Baptist. I travel the state and consult with churches about church health growth and Revitalization, but I appreciate Chris because he's a strong leader, and not only a good pastor, but he's a really good, strong leader. So you are a blessed people. I know you're excited that he'll be back um, next Sunday to uh, bring the word of God to you. So thanks for the opportunity to to be here today and to speak the truth of the Scripture. The gospel is unstoppable. No one. And no thing can stop the gospel message of Jesus. The pandemics don't stop the gospel message of Jesus. The, the, the gospel is unstoppable. It is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And even though people through uh, years and ages have tried to stop the gospel message, the gospel message is absolutely unstoppable. Uh, it's unstoppable for a community, it's unstoppable for a church, but it's also unstoppable in your own life. That the gospel is able and capable. I remember when I first started thinking in those terms about the gospel being unstoppable. And the gospel, it comes out at unexpected times in these unexpected ways from unexpected messengers to sometimes an unexpected audience. I remember when I saw that come to life. So this is a picture of, of me and my good friend, Pastor Tim Rowell of Flatonia Baptist Church, who's a great pastor and a great friend. And um, we were in Germany because uh, we did um, continual baseball camps, summer uh, mission trips to, to Germany and shared the gospel with kids via baseball. And so um, my friend Jens Kunza and I and Tim uh, would go to these schools, public schools, in order to help them get ready for summer camp in, in the summertime. We would we would go and we would uh, teach kids baseball and, and we would hand out business cards or websites and invite them to come to the summer camp and to hear about the Lord. It was a great, great time. But one of these days um, when we were there, um, we could not teach baseball that day and they just said hey instead would you go to an english class class and do conversational english we said sure so so we went in and sat down and as soon as we were getting ready to start the, the tall guy in the middle there Jens, came to us and he said he's a member of the church we partnered with and he said now listen um um you can't talk about the gospel um you can't talk about jesus you know don't it can kind of not be so good for us it could hurt our relationship with the school and the church and we're like yeah we get it not a problem so 
So he said, don't even tell them what you are, you know, what you do. I'm like, all right. So we sit down and we start conversing back and forth with these kids. They're asking normal type questions. You know, where do you live? Where's your 10 gallon hat? You know, how many horses do you have? How many snakes did you eat last week? Stuff like that. And so then this little boy back in the back, he says, uh, Tim, he has on the left, he says, uh, you look like you work out a lot. Uh, what, what do you eat? And so Tim's like, I try to be healthy and eat well. And a few more questions come. And then this boy on the right side says, Jonathan, um, do you eat McDonald's every day? <laughs> no. Every other day, when I told him. So thanks for noticing. I'm working hard on that. So, so then this, this, finally this little girl says, um, so what is your, uh, what's the word, profession? And Tim and I look at each other like, mm, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? And the teacher goes, oh, they are priests. Okay, yeah, that's pretty close. We're priests, see my white collar and everything, but, but we went on and so, and so this same little girl says, ah, since, since you are a priest, then you must know the Lord's Prayer. I've been learning the Lord's Prayer in my catechism. Can you say the Lord's Prayer? And Tim and I look at each other and we, we can say the Lord's Prayer. So we say the Lord's Prayer out loud and this little boy made the McDonald's comment, raised his hand again and I ignored him and I turned to somebody else <laughs> and they said, um, so this, this word hallowed, what does the word hallowed mean? So the teacher says, why don't you write the Lord's Prayer out on the board and explain it to us word by word? Okay, we can do that. So literally, first period, second period, third period, fourth period, we shared the gospel all morning long when we were specifically told not to, right? Why? Because the gospel... Is unstoppable. Now, you may listen to that and say, I like the idea the gospel is unstoppable, unstoppable, but you don't know my crazy drunk uncle. Or, or you don't know how deep of a sinful situation he is in. Or you don't know uh, the difficulty of some family dynamics. Or, or, or you, don't, you don't know, you might even say, the depth of what's happening in my own heart and soul. I'm not sure the gospel is unstoppable for me. I preached the sermon to several hundred pastors a few months ago, and I, I was even as bold as to saying that, you know, we, we pastors tend to be pretty open in some areas, but some areas were pretty closed, and maybe there's even a pastor who would think, and I'm not sure the gospel can really penetrate all that's happening in my life. I want you to see today, no matter who you are, where you're from, what skin tone you have, what language you speak, we're about to see from Acts chapter 2 that the gospel is unstoppable. So take your copy of God's word, please, and turn me to Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse number 1. You say, hey, that's a famous passage. I know it well. Yeah, I hope to see, you'll see just a touch different um, with a few things I want to highlight. So Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. Here's what the Lord's word says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all, that's a common theme in the book of Acts, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost wasn't born on this day. Pentecost was actually one of three pilgrimage festivals that existed in Judaism long before this day. Most people kind of think Pentecost was, but Pentecost was this festival where people would travel to Israel, travel to Jerusalem to celebrate it. Verse number two, and suddenly, so all of a sudden there's these probably 200 disciples, men and women, we believe they're praying together in an upper room, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house 
where they were sitting. Ever thought of it this way? We believe that they're in an upper room, but the whole house is filled with God's power. (laughs) When we need God's power, we don't get just a small portion. God gives us more than what we need. Verse number three. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them. They saw it and rested on each one of them. Notice earlier it's all collective. Now it's each individually. So each person received some sort of tongue that maybe even multiplied and it kind of sat, if you will, on top of each individual person. Verse 4. And they were all, there it is again, all, individual, and then all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, many people have shied away from this passage, kind of like, hey, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We don't need to do that. There's nothing controversial about this passage. In fact, there's something beautiful about this passage that God is is fully Father, fully Son, fully Spirit. And he does things that we just can't explain. So all of a sudden, these these men and these women start speaking in tongues or other languages, as you'll see that other people clearly understood. Verse number five. Now. Luke, as he's writing, kind of turns the spotlight from that group, as he often does, to a different group of people as he explains who's in the town. Verse number five. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from, notice this, every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. Now, as Luke is writing to this man, uh, Theophilus, Luke, this, this physician, he wants to be sure that Theophilus understands that the, the whole, their whole known world was represented. Every, someone from every nation was there. But notice also there were dwelling in Jerusalem these Jewish people. Well, from the context and just from some other studies, here's what we know. There's two different kinds of people uh, that, are, that are in Jerusalem this day that are highlighted. The first is from what's called the Diaspora. Now, the Diaspora is a reference to beginning in 550 B.C. when the children of Israel were were taken as captives to different countries. And so they, for all these years, had been captives and slaves, but they were beginning to get their freedom and to return back to the motherland, if you will. Um, and so people are coming back, especially to Jerusalem. And the diaspora, this dispersing is what diaspora means. They were sent as far west as Spain and as far east as India. And Josephus, this great historian, tells us that during Jesus' day, that the the returning of the diaspora, people coming back to Israel and back to Jerusalem, had reached its apex. That's group number one. Group number two, and maybe more importantly, is that many Jewish people traveled for Passover, and then 50 days later was Pentecost. So the idea was, if I'm going to spend the money to travel that far, I may as well stay the whole seven weeks. And so they would stay and they would have this uh, almost like a Thanksgiving type celebration during Pentecost and the weeks in between. It's also called the Festival of Weeks. They 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 were celebrating the harvest. Um, families were being reunited who hadn't seen each other in quite some time. So Pentecost was about commemorating, remembering the Ten Commandments and renewing that covenant. So entire families 
entire generations, like your cousin who you hadn't seen in years, maybe, was going to be there. You were all going to be together for seven weeks. So just think about this context for me, if you will. Okay, In this moment, in this moment is when the Holy Spirit comes. In this moment, the church is born. So Luke is telling Theophilus, at the apex of population, at the apex of kind of regathering in Jerusalem during a season of intense geographic and multicultural diversity, then God unleashed the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna, I'm going to unpack that for you as we co- kind of go along today. But, but just think with me for a moment. If you turn back one page, probably to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you would see this famous verse, right? That you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And they probably weren't too fearful over Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, I mean, Samaria. We don't like them. We hate them. But the ends of the earth, how were they going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to places where they don't even know how to speak the language? Surely there was some sort of fear. You see, the mindset of, of the Jews that day, the mindset of Galileans in particular, was that the gospel was just for them. The gospel was just for Jews. And how would they take that gospel forward? Surely someone in that process was thinking, how do we overcome the language barrier? Because language, as you all know, is a real, true barrier. See, I think you've heard this story so often that you've lost, it's so, you're so accustomed to it, you've kind of lost what it was like. In all that mission work in, in Europe and Germany, many times my wife and I or my friend Tim and I or just other people that are part of this mission work would sit out like in Berlin or in Amsterdam at a cafe. Those are incredible international cities. And I'm telling you, especially if there was a soccer match in town, every five seconds people would walk by and as you were listening, the language would change from German to Italian to Russian to Mandarin. That's what it was like in Jerusalem on that day. That's what was happening. Not only was it a time of many languages, but a time of many nationalities and skin tones. And Luke's going to help Theophilus see that. Verse number six. And at this sound, what sound? Well, there's kind of controversy about that. The sound of the wind. No, probably the sound of the people speaking, right? This multitude came together. So more than likely, these disciples have, have left this upper room where, where we believe that they were. They've, now they're rushing into the streets, probably towards the temple where they're going to uh, preach and teach because we see them all being there in a few moments. But as that's happening, the people are bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Notice, at this moment, the multitude came together. You see, God knows exactly when to gather a multitude of people together. And God and God alone has the ability by the power of his Holy Spirit to pull people together in order to hear the gospel. And here it's this language miracle. You see, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, unexpected and unexplainable things happen. If we listen to me, cross point. If we remove the unexplainable, we have removed the church. If we remove the unexplainable, we no longer understand what it means to be God's holy church. God's church doesn't understand natural. God's church is a supernatural phenomenon fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
One author, whose name I can't think of right now, so forgive me, says it really well. If you can explain what God is doing in your church, then God is not the one who is doing it. <laughs> right? So this, this unusual happening may be surprising to them and surprising to us, but not surprising to God. Because God loves to step into our lives and to bring the unexpected. So when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, unexpected and unexplainable events happen. If there were any doubt in those disciples, if they were wondering, I wonder if we can take the gospel forward with these language barriers. Now they understood. If there was any question about who is this gospel for? Is it just for Jews? Now all of a sudden they're, they're seeing it played out in their own lives. And what I want you to know, to apply it for just a moment, is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Lord is also orchestrating and building a multitude of people this day around your life. You may say, now, pastor, that's very pastory of you because you know that the Lord is orchestrating a multitude of people around your life and Pastor Chris's life. But I'm telling you, we're not special. We just have a different calling, a different vocation than you. But God is drawing a multitude of people around your life with whom his expectation is that you live the Christian life in front of them. You love them well and you tell them the glory and the goodness of Jesus. Um, a lot of times in this moment, um, I tell a story of two people that are in the room, <laughs> but I won't do that uh, today. I, I, I tell the story of a family that I got to baptize the husband and step out of the way while the husband baptized the wife. It was awesome. So I tell that story sometimes. Let me tell you a different one, though. I don't want to embarrass them. So when, when my parents were young and lived in Grapevine, Texas, they were 17 and 18 years old. And there's a picture we're going to bring up of this. This is Pastor L.E. Holmes. He's in his 90s now. And in the early 60s, I think 63-ish, um, my parents were 17 and 18, living together. Um, they were not married. My mom was pregnant, about seven or eight months pregnant. And, and Brother Holmes, as I know him, um, came to my parents' mobile home and knocked on the door and he broke all the social norms of the day. And he said, um, the two of you should come to our church. And they did. And a few weeks later, they received Christ and they were baptized um, together. And what's amazing about that is <clears throat> no one was doing that then. Um, but what's amazing to me is the lineage of it all. My mom likes to say that because of him... Um, I sat on the pew nine months before I was born, right? Um, and so grew up in the church. But because of Brother Holmes, my brothers were followers of Christ. My, my boys are followers of Christ. Because of his influence and because of the Lord's just ministry in, in my own life, there are people in this community who know Christ because Brother Holmes did something that was unexpected. See, the Lord in the same way is drawing a multitude of people around you with friends and coworkers and family members and, 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 and schools and soccer teams. And, and so don't think that, you know, Brother Holmes is different or special because the calling is clear. All of us are to be making disciples. And when we're not, we're disobedient to our Heavenly Father's great commission. Verse number seven. 
And they were amazed. I bet they were and astounded, saying, Are not all those who were speaking Galileans? Now, Galileans were often bilingual, but they weren't polyglots. I mean, I'd love to give you the ability of polyglot and make you a polyglot and make you a polyglot and you a polyglot and you a polyglot, but you don't even know what a polyglot is. Um, a polyglot is someone who speaks more than two languages, right? They're trilingual or greater. And so what all that they're saying here is, we don't understand this. These Galileans are speaking more than two languages. How is that even possible? Verse number eight. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own, notice this word, his own native, that means original, right? His own native tongue. Have you ever seen someone who has heard for the first time in a long time the language of their childhood they haven't heard for 10 and 20 and 30 and 50 years? You ever seen that before? I got to see those Germans I talked about came to LaGrange and we would go to the nursing homes um, here in town and to the retirement facility here in town. And our, knowing there were a lot of Czechs and German people, descendants in there, they'd go in and start talking. And when we found someone who was German, these people from Germany would begin speaking German. And these folks who hadn't heard German in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, their eyes would always well up with tears, right? Because they haven't heard that in a long time. And they'd be able to speak it, which is incredible that God just kind of locks that in the back of their minds, right? But notice he says they hear in their own native tongue. The first thing that they've heard in this language they haven't heard in a long, long time. The first thing that they hear is the goodness, the glory, and the righteousness of God. Isn't that beautiful? So, then Luke... Being a detailed physician, right? He wants he wants Theophilus to understand who's around us. So he does this thing that we'd probably lose unless you're a biblical scholar, and I'm not one. I had to read a book to figure this out. But um, so what he does is he he com- he kind of draws this comparison. And what's about to happen is he's going to show us the 15 nationalities and unique languages that were there. Those who read this book for the first time, Theophilus and the first readers would have gone, ah, he's going to list the nations just like in Genesis chapter 10. When, when God told Moses, here are the nations that are around you. But you know what, ha- what happens after Genesis 10 is Genesis 11 where there's the Tower of Babel and the languages are all confused, right? So that's the, that's the context that people are reading in. So let me just kind of read this for you fast, being at verse number 9. Here are the nationalities, 15 nationalities with 15 distinct languages that were alive in Jerusalem that day. Parthians and Medes and Eliamites. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them, look at this, telling in our own native tongues, right? We heard that before. In our own native tongues, what are they hearing? They're proclaiming the mighty works of God. In our own tongues, they're proclaiming the mighty works of of God. So here are these people who maybe for years and years haven't heard their native tongue spoken. And the first time that they hear it after years and years is people proclaiming the goodness and the holiness and the righteousness and the love and the, the hope of Christ. 
See, the, the first act of the church, like literally, historically, we're reading the first act of the church. The very first act of the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was to proclaim the mighty works of God. And the first act of the church this day is to proclaim the mighty works of God, that He is holy and right and just and true and good, right? That's what our calling is. If there were any doubt in those disciples as to who the gospel was for, any doubt who was eligible to receive the gift of salvation in this moment, they should have understood that the gospel wasn't just for Jews, that the gospel wasn't just for Galileans, that Jesus Christ came and gave his life for the whole world. Right. That's what they're realizing. So the first recognizable act of the church was to proclaim the mighty works of God to every tongue, to every tribe and to every nation, even though it seemed like they couldn't break through, couldn't break through the language, couldn't break through the culture. What we learn from this passage is that language is not a barrier to the gospel. Ethnicity and skin tone is not a barrier to the gospel. Nationality is not a barrier to the gospel. Cultural is not a barrier to the to the to the gospel. Um, background is not a barrier to the gospel. There are no barriers to the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is unstoppable. It is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus will not be stopped. While man is perpetually unable, God's power in us is perfectly able that God can carry the gospel in us and carry the gospel through us. And look at verse number 14. It says, but Peter standing with the 11. I didn't notice that until a few months ago, but Peter, right now he's got these 11 disciples all standing with him. He's not alone. (laughs) But Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them. And he preaches the first Sermon of the church and 3,000 men placed their faith in Jesus Christ in that first day, right? Now, you may hear this idea of the gospel being unstoppable. That if you know history, if you pay attention to history at all, or especially church history, you might say, now, now Pastor Jonathan, I, what about persecution? Like, Isn't there massive persecution? Hasn't there been for 2,000 years persecution of God's people? Yes, that's true. Absolutely. You may see, Pastor Jonathan, I think you're confused. Men and nations and tyrants have done all they can to stop the gospel message. That's true. And let me just kind of fast forward through some, some realities. If you want to push back in that way, or if you've thought that. You know, from Jewish orthodoxy from the first century, Stephen... The first martyr, and then we have 11 of the 12 disciples who we believe were martyred, right? So it sounds like the gospel may be stoppable. In the Roman Empire, the first to the fourth century, we have these, these crazy tyrants like Nero and Domitian, who would literally take Christian people and dip their bodies in oil and hang them up on a stand and light them aflame at night so that they could see uh, when they were passing in their courtyards. We have Christian persecution in the Persian Empire, the 4th century, 
through the 7th century, people like Emperor Shapur II, who put a double tax on Christians to finance a war. They refused to pay it, and hundreds of thousands of people were martyred in that time. We have the Vikings of the 8th through 11th century. They attacked churches in Europe along the coastlines. They killed pastors. They burned uh, biblical libraries. Sounds like the gospel was stoppable, right? In Japan in the 17th century, there were 1,600 Christians who were banned from worshiping Christ. They rebelled. And from these 1,600 Christians, 100,000 people were publicly beheaded in a month. Why? Because if your fourth cousin was one of those persons who proclaimed Jesus, your entire family, everyone in your family was brought to the courtyard and executed so that they could try to stamp out Christianity. It sounds like the gospel message might be Stoppable. In the Soviet Union from the 20th century, atheism was a state religion. They destroyed thousands of churches. Pastors were murdered, tortured, sent to prison camps. 500,000 Christians were killed in, in 10 years. And in current day North Korea, it's estimated that there are 70,000 Christian families in labor camps. There are reports of Christians being run over by steamrollers and being crucified on a, over a cross, over a, on a cross over a fire. And then even right here in, the, uh, you know, the beautiful state of Texas, kind of the, the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Yes, we had a man in Sutherland Springs who went in and killed 26 worshipers. You may say, Pastor Jonathan, it sounds like the gospel is stoppable. I think maybe you're a bit confused because doesn't Jesus even say in Matthew 24 that that persecution as we get closer will be more rampant. He does say that. And he also says in the exact same passage that the love of most people will grow cold interpretation. And we all see this alive, that people will invent new ways to be cruel and to hurt and to kill others. Isn't that going to be alive, especially in the Christian life? It is. But in the same passage in Matthew chapter 24, Verse number 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What he's saying is the gospel message will keep going forward, that no one will stop it. Friends, our enemy may kill the messengers, but our enemy will never kill the message. The gospel of Jesus is un. Stoppable. Let me just kind of apply it for a few minutes and we'll be done. While the gospel is unstoppable, we are evangelistically responsible. All of us, not just the pastor people, the leader people, the deacon people, the elder people, no, all, all of us will give account to the Lord. For what we've done with his gospel. And as I um, travel the state and consult with people and help them kind of understand the dynamic of what is coming to Texas. And the gospel opportunity in Texas is just unfathomable. It's astronomical. So let me just kind of show you that for a few moments. God and his wisdom is growing Texas. I mean, if God's going to go grow any place, right? He's going to grow Texas. Our economy is just honestly just better than most of the nation and our state grows like no place else. In 2022, we will surpass 30 million residents in Texas. But by 2050, if the trends hold true, we'll have 56 million residents, almost double of what we currently have. 
And you say, well, 2050 is really, really far away. You realize we're closer to 2050 than 1990. You figured that out yet? We're closer to 2050. So it's not that, that far away. And then different cities are going to explode. But let me just show you um, of the trends in Texas. The DFW metroplex area is going to balloon to 16 million people. Houston to 14. But Austin is going to grow to 5 million people, which is the highest percentage growth at 201%. So if you think that being triangulated between Austin, Houston, and San Antonio, that Fayette County and LaGrange, Texas is going to remain this way, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. If I'm being honest, because I don't live here anymore, I'm just going to say it. It doesn't matter what the city council says. This community is going to grow. If it's not going to grow right here in town, it's going to grow all around town. It's just going to happen. And we need to thank God that he's bringing international people here that can hear the gospel of Jesus, right, to, to this wonderful state. And then there's this issue of national and international migration. Now, 26 million people between now and 2050, if we're going to have to grow that much, how are they going to get here? And what are they going to be like? Well, we know that not only is God growing us numerically in the state of Texas, but he's also growing us in diversity. So the 26 million people that are going to be born here or move here between now and 2050, I've taken those 26 million people and condensed them down into 22 for you, just to kind of make it simple and easier to understand. So 26 million down to 22, and I thought, 22 people, ah, football, right? 22 players on the field at any time, 11 on offense, 11 on defense. I figure by 2050, um, we will, um, the NFL will expand it and we'll have a couple of new teams. The first new team that I gave them this name is the San Antonio Stampede. Okay? So the Stampede, if you'd think of the left side of the ball, like on the offense, um, what would their nationalities be? 26 million out of 22. Well, 11 of them will be Hispanic. Okay? So half Half of the people that are new that are coming to Texas will be, or are going to be born here, are going to be Hispanic. Now, on the right side of the ball, on the defense, I figure the NFL will expand it, and by then, we will have added, I didn't name them, the Austin Weird. They literally named themselves. I didn't name them. And so, on the, on the defensive side of the ball, the Austin Weird, you would have, again, 26 million boiled down to 22. You'd have five of them would be Asian. It's the fastest growing community in Texas. The Asian population is going to increase by five-fold between now and 2050. There'd be three African-Americans, two Caucasians, and one that would just be a conglomeration of people, other people from all over the world. So, you see the correlation between this passage and Texas? Incredible growth, people moving here from all over the world, and incredible diversity. Texas is entering an Acts chapter 2 type moment. We are entering into an Acts chapter 2 type atmosphere. What will we do as leaders of God's church? What will we do as members of God's church? What will we do as God's family with what he's going to do in bringing people to Texas? The opportunities are incredible. While those gospel doors are blown open, far too many Christian mouths and lives are closed. So let me conclude with this thought. What if, what if Brother Holmes had not been courageous and knocked on a door? 
maybe I wouldn't know Christ. Maybe my sons who all graduated here in the Grange wouldn't know Christ. If I'm just being honest, maybe some of you wouldn't know Christ. What does that say? What does that mean? You, you can be a legacy. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has given you the opportunity so that you would know that, that two or three generations from now, there's going to be a little girl who's going to be born, and because, perhaps because of you shared the gospel with someone, a neighbor or a coworker or whatever, that all of a sudden, now this grandchild is going to be born in like, you know, 2065, is going to grow up in a Christian home. If you'll step out in faith and, and knock on a door or, or, or just show your Christian life to the the soccer parents or, the, or the, the school or whatever it may be there. What might God do through your willingness? Because as it's been stated, God, God can use your trembling hands and your fearful mind, but God cannot use your silence of your life or your voice. Might Ellie Holmes be sitting... <laughs> In this room today. Because friends, the gospel of Jesus is unstoppable. And if you'll pay attention, it'll come out at unexpected times, in unexpected ways, from an unexpected messenger, and often to an unexpected but waiting audience. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just, I just thank you um, for the power of your Spirit in men and women of courage. And Lord, I've not always been courageous like I, I need to be. Um, so Father, I pray you'd help me. But Lord, I, I just want to begin by, by praying for people who are listening and they've said, yeah, I already know who... The Lord has placed on my heart, my mind, and my life that I need to just build relationship with, need to reach out to, I need to befriend. Or Lord, maybe they already know that it's time to sit down at a coffee shop or wherever and just say, hey, can I tell you about my changed life? God, I pray that this local body wouldn't have rest until um, they have been obedient fully. Lord, as we saw, all together each individual person and then all, um, that they've been fully obedient to your command. So, Lord, help, help those who may be on the edge. Give them strength and courage. And, Lord, just spill your Holy Spirit on them when they don't expect it. <laughs> and may they live in the joy and the excitement and the terror all at the same time of, of oh, I know what the Lord wants me to speak now, act, to act now. But listen, there may be a person or two in here or listening online or whatever that you would say, you know, um, I know that the gospel can penetrate certain circumstances, but you don't know the story of my life. You don't know the sin of my life. Well, I don't, but Christ does. The Bible literally says that in the midst of your sin, Christ died for you. <laughs> he knows. He knows every action that you have taken. And he dies for you. And he offered you an opportunity to have fellowship with him. So today, 
if, if you're stirred about this gospel and you're thinking, I really want God's gospel to be unstoppable in me and for me, all you need to do is reach out to Christ and ask him to be your savior, to forgive you, to admit your sin, your fault, your guilt. And the scripture says that he will. You commit your life to him um, in obedience. Follow him. If you need help with that, I'll be here after church. The staff will be here. Musicians will be here. Turn to your neighbor or call a friend. Email the church. They will jump at the opportunity to help you understand that Christ, his power, his gospel can forgive you. So, Lord, I just pray that Ellie Holmes will be in this room this day. For the sake of your gospel, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.